I'm Libby Rothschild, former clinical dietitian who transformed into a full-time virtual business owner. It was only one year ago when I made $55,000 a year in my clinical job. And now I make $100,000 a month being my own boss. And you can do this too. My clients, who are all female dietitians and students, started from zero and created six-figure, multi-six-figure businesses by following my proven method. And they've all been guests on air. My proven method shows you how to attract cash paying clients using social media marketing strategies that work. You don't have to guess, waste time, or hold yourself back when you follow my step-by-step method. All right. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Megan and Christina. Very excited. Megan Olmstead is a graduate practicum coordinator of the School of Nutrition at Ryerson University in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Megan completed her undergraduate degree at the University of Western Ontario, followed by a clinical internship at University Health Network and a graduate degree in public health nutrition at the University of Toronto. Megan started her dietetics career in diabetes and quickly became the program manager of the diabetes education program. Her passion for counseling and education led her to take the leap into education, where she has spent the last seven years contributing to the development of two graduate nutrition programs. Megan's philosophy of practice is to create and promote dynamic learning environments where students can apply new and existing knowledge to practice skills and behaviors to demonstrate competence in dietetics practice. Christina Capucci is an anti-diet dietitian who specializes in helping moms who struggle with body insecurities and food guilt, learning how to accept their bodies and making peace with food through a health at every size approach. Christina is based north of Toronto, working full-time at a hospital. During this global pandemic, she found herself exploring how to start her own virtual private practice, and she did exactly that. Welcome to the show, and I'm excited to have you both. And for context, Christina, you've taken Megan's courses, is that correct? That's your connection? Okay. I just thought it was important to say that uh, as far as the connection for today's interview. Did I leave anything out from the introductions? No, no, I think you're good. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, engaging in a conversation with both of you. I think it's a a nice panel to have Megan as the coordinator and then Christina as a student. Are you still a student, Christina, or are you a former student? No. So I did the Masters of Health Science program that Megan is the coordinator for, yeah. Yeah. And and how long ago did you graduate? I graduated in 2017, December 2017. Okay. Yeah. So you are, uh, yeah, you're definitely, you've, you've been graduated from student life for a few years now. Um, but it's, it's so nice to be able to have you both on this call to, to provide more context about the program and education and, and how dietetics is integrated into the curriculum, if at all, et cetera. So can you first both talk about your, the master's program students and how you offer options to help students learn about non-traditional career paths, both from Megan's perspective and then Christina's as the former student of the, the program? Sure, I'll take this one first. It's Megan here. So the MHSC Nutrition Communications Program was created about seven years ago. And previously, it was a program that dietitians could take after becoming a dietitian to increase their communication skills, both oral and written. But we quickly found that there was a need to expand our internship spots because, as I'm sure is the issue in the States, as in Canada, 
there seems to be a bottleneck after undergrad where there's a lot of competition to get spots to actually become a dietitian. So within our program, we were able to start off with 15 spots in our accredited internship stream. And we've slowly grown that to about 30 right now. So within the program, our whole goal is to make sure that students are engaging in the work and experiences that will help them to develop their career path. And we do this in a number of ways. One of the highlights is in our graduate seminar where a faculty member takes students through uh, creating a five-year plan to be able to get to where they need to. Because we really realize that a graduate degree is sometimes just the first step to understanding who you want to be in your future career. Then I kind of take over from there after the coursework and help the students to realize where they actually want to train build those connections, and then eventually get a job. And I'm happy to say that students are really going beyond the traditional clinical community types of settings. And they're going into industry and tech and nonprofits and really cool areas where we didn't typically see dietitians working. So not only are they getting placements in those areas, but we're also creating jobs for dietitians because the employers are seeing how great a dietitian student is that they're wanting to hire them after. Yeah, that's incredible. So based on what you're saying, and I think we've spoken about this before, Megan, from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, their most recent compensation and survey and benefits guide says that less than 10% of dietitians go into a business, like own their own business, where over 60% go into clinical. I'm assuming those statistics are similar to Canada. I don't know if there's any, anything to back up what I'm saying. I'm, I'm making an assumption here. So firstly, do you have any thoughts about that? Secondly, do you have any data or insights or personal experience you can share about those numbers shifting given the increase in dietitians going into non-traditional paths outside of clinical? Definitely. So we have a, a new graduate survey, which is a graduate from kind of year one to year five in practice that Dietitians of Canada puts out every year. And last year was the inaugural year of this. It was a research study that was done and funded by Dietitians of Canada. And they found something very similar that I believe it was just under 10% that we're going into these emerging areas of practice, whether it be private practice, industry, retail dietetics, and then the majority we're going into more community and clinical types of settings. But I find in my program in the MHSC, it's about a third, a third and a third. So a third of students are going into emerging areas of practice that we don't typically see that I just spoke to. And then the other third is going into more of a kind of the traditional clinical inpatient hospital type of setting. And then the final third is either doing counseling type of work in a uh, family health team, community health center, so primary care, or they're doing counseling specific private practice. So for me, I kind of divide private practice between the more counseling style one-to-one and then consulting. Cause some of our students have gone on to do consulting work where they might partner with an agency to develop some media work, writing, blogging, website development, stuff like that. Interesting. So my impression, I I like how you divide them up into what sounds like three tiers. Mm -hmm. My understanding of private practice is that it's any 
business that you have that's not owned by the government. So any anything that you're doing independently. So is your definition based on just personal experience or is that some kind of, is that from a reference point to separate counseling aspect versus the maybe um, blog aspect or some other consulting kind of leg of private practice? I would totally agree with your definition in terms of like reporting your taxes, but when it comes to like helping students to understand what different career paths they could take, it helps to get them to see that even if counseling isn't their thing, they can still go into uh, business for themselves. It just might look a little bit different, whether they're developing content instead of doing consumer facing counseling. Love it. And I love that you're finding an innovative approach and way to say that, to get through to them and help them go into those emerging practices. So when are we going to stop using the word like emerging practice or emerging field and just have that be the standard and that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, I don't know if it'll ever stop because it seems like something will always be emerging. But if you have another word, Christina, maybe you have an idea for a, a new word. We'll we'll start it trending. <laughs> Let's make it the new norm. Yeah, I mean that's but that's what we're doing. That's what you both are doing, both on the the level of uh, Megan as the uh, coordinator, and then Christina will get into the work you're doing. You're you're a student of the university who's in an emerging field. So it's so wonderful to hear your perspective. So can you talk a little bit about how the options that you had in your schooling for non-traditional career paths helped open your eyes in, in your master's degree and what your experience was like? Yeah, so when you get in the program, it's really exciting because you no longer have that competition you have in undergrad. You're in the program, you know you'll be a dietitian. And now it's just, what do you want to do? So Megan does a really amazing job in just sitting down with you and really listening to what you're interested in. So for me, I, I knew what I was interested in, but I also knew there were things I wanted to explore to see if I was interested in it. For example, working in a hospital. I didn't think I'd like working in a hospital, but I said to her, I want to give it a try. I don't want to rule it out. I want to see what I like just by having that hands-on work. So for me, I was interested in like eating disorders and adopting the health at every size approach. But also I did all of that and still had 10 weeks of clinical in a hospital. So Megan really had this beautiful balance of placements for me where I got everything I wanted. I worked with kids. I worked with elderly. I worked with eating disorders and I saw so much that I was able to build so many skills to use now. And I was also able to get a job in the hospital that I interned at, you know, using my connections with them. And of course, doing a good job while I was a student. So when there was a position available, I was someone who they actually considered. So right now, I'm able to have a stable job in a hospital, but also branch into what my professional plan was, my five-year plan, Megan was talking about, as being an anti-diet dietitian and owning my own practice and doing both things that I enjoy and really just fine-tuning my skills that I learned from the program. That's incredible. And so a couple, I have some more questions for you, Christina, but firstly, I want to say, Megan, how does it feel to know that what you've laid down as far as non-traditional career paths that your students, your past students are doing it. Like, 
what does that mean to you to see that and I mean hear it and know that it's happening? I mean, it's everything, right? Uh, this is why I do the work that I do. This is why I find education so rewarding. And every year at the end of our program, we have a celebration class where students talk about the highlights of their program. And that's my favorite day of the year. And so then hearing and, and still being connected with Christina this many years later, I think it's a testament to who she is, but also the fact that she's a happy, successful dietitian that clearly used our program as a jumping point to continue where she's at today. So that's all I could ever ask for being an educator that she's taken it this far. That's incredible. I would agree that that's, and I love the celebration class. That's really cool. So what would you say, uh, Christina, as far as when you look back, it sounds like, and I want to kind of go a little bit deeper with this, the dynamic placements that you had and the reputation you built for yourself. I don't know if you have an example as to why you said that as a student, they decided to ask you to, to work for them. And I don't know if you did superior work, I'm assuming, um, or if you have an example of that, but what would you say helped motivate you to, you've mentioned that you tried, you wanted to give clinical a try, but what motivated you to get the skills to be where you are now? Was it a combination of having that foundation in school and uh, what inspired you to take the tools and actually do it? Because a lot of dietitians have that five-year plan and it takes them 20 years or never. So what would you say uh, for the listeners uh, would be helpful for people who have an idea that they never take to action? Is it the background you had from school as well? So are you referring to starting my private practice or all? Okay. Yes. And okay. So first of all, thank you, Megan, for all of that. And thank you for everything you've done. I love keeping in touch with you. So that's why I've kind of taken a student every year since I graduated. So yeah, I would say, so going back to Libby's question about, you know, why I thought I stood out in the, in my hospital placement, it was my last placement. Oh, no, it wasn't actually, it was my second last placement. So at that point, I was feeling pretty confident with my skills. And I just really treated internship as a very short but busy time in my life that I just put all of my energy into because I knew it was short and I knew this was the time that I needed to advocate for myself. And I wanted my preceptors to almost see me as a colleague, even though I was a student. So by the end of my hospital placement, I took on the whole medicine caseload because I wanted to prove to her that I could do it. And and I did. And, you know, I guess if you see your student do your job, you think, yes, I can hire her and she can do my job. So not to boast about myself, but I really, I probably burned out by the end of it, but it was, it was worth it because I just had to do, do it for a short period of time. And in the end of the day, I did get a job from it. And it was only a month after I graduated. So which was pretty unheard of. And so now going into private practice, I actually always said I never would own my own business until I met you, Libby, until you followed me on Instagram, because I was always scared about, you know, the financial piece, the legalities, making sure I'm following all the rules. It just sounded too stressful for me. But I think the skills I learned from the master's program and more specifically, the media skills, wanting to branch out. And I really like presenting, I really like counseling. So 
I knew I wanted to do that from my master's program and the internship. And when you connected with me, I knew like, this is how I would do it. This is how I would create my dream job of being an anti-diet dietitian and working with women who are just so suffocating in their own negative thoughts about their body and food. So I, you know, you keep looking for jobs that are perfect for you. And then I realized, why don't I just make it myself? So you both helped me do that. So thank you. It's really cool to be on this call with both of you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think for the listeners to hear from the curriculum and and schooling, the opportunities, and then the opportunities thereafter, how it is possible to take that five-year plan and accelerate it. So I think this is really cool for you to, to share that and role model for your colleagues around the world. And then also just a quick note about your practice. So as a recap for the listeners who don't know you, you are taking interns, working your job, and you've built your private practice on the side that's aligned with your philosophy as a dietitian. Is that correct? Did I leave anything out? No, that is exactly right. <laughs> How does that feel? I mean, just a few years in after school, after finishing your master's to have that accomplished. How does that feel to give back to interns and then build your, your practice? Yeah, so I, I love taking students. I always loved teaching and I was hesitant to take a student the first year because I thought I just didn't know enough. But then I realized, you know, we can just learn together. And my student taught me things that I didn't know. So it was just, I really love just teaching students and also teaching them how to advocate for the profession. We can get a little more into that later. And, and then, you know, doing my dream job on the side, making money on the side of my full time job. It's just, Every client I see, every session I do with them is automatically fulfilling. And that's what I realized I need in a job. I don't do so well with a big project that you only get a reward at the end. I need that more frequent satisfaction. So that's definitely what I get with counseling and even posting things on Instagram, you know, the comments you get. So it's just, it feels really, really good. Awesome. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. So my second question is, what struggles, if you could um, kick this off, Megan, do dietitians in Canada face, for example, competing against holistic naturopaths, nurses, managerial positions, and perceptions in the media? Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I think to start it off, there's roughly 12,000 dietitians across Canada. Okay. So if you compare that to the, you know, hundreds of thousands of nurses and, you know, physicians, medical professionals, we're a very small profession, but we're so highly trained. The fact that we're trained in nutrition is the challenge because the general public thinks that, you know, they know what to eat, they know what to do. So why do I need an expert to tell me? So I think being a dietitian, we have a couple issues that we have to overcome, we have to be able to teach the public what a dietitian is, and what our training is, and why we are the experts in helping you figure out how to live a healthy lifestyle with diet. But then also, looking at advancing the role of the dietitian beyond those traditional roles into more leadership roles. So that whether you're, you know, working in a hospital, and you're content, you know, with that uh, patient facing role, or you want to be the manager of that department, 
How are you going to stand out instead of the nurse that's also applying that might traditionally already get that position because that's what they've done in the past? I understand the problem and thank you for giving examples. What can we do to assume leadership positions? So I I get that there's 12,000 and that's smaller compared to some, I don't know if we have statistics on nurses in Canada or or other professions, but what's the actionable step? Aside from taking interns, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Training the next generation. But really, it's it's doing things like Christina's doing, putting a voice out there. I think social media is an amazing tool that as a small profession, you can reach a lot of people. So getting your voice out there and uh, Libby, as you say, showing your face, I think that more of our population, whether it's in the in Canada or the US needs to really know what a dietitian does. Because, you know, I still face all the time when I, you know, introduce myself at different events that aren't typical for dietitians. It's like, oh, okay, so a dietitian, what, uh, you, you make diets, you make meal plans, like, oh, no, actually, I'm in education. So I think just even understanding that dietitians can work in so many different areas, they're not just in a hospital, and you just go see them when you're sick. So I think that us as individuals, as individual dietitians, we can band together and really uh, shout from the rooftops what we do and what we can do. And there's a lot of dietitians doing this work, but I think it takes every dietitian to take on this advocacy role. I love that. Anything to add to that, Christina? Yeah, like I just wanted to add showing your face, like like Megan said, I've been able to use my presentation skills and just media skills I learned from the program to now be the face of the dietitian of the hospital, I guess you can say. They've asked me to do a couple of videos on their Instagram page or all their social media. And I never would have done that before having so much practice for presenting and just now showing your face and talking about things that aren't just about, you know, seeing patients in the hospital, I'm talking about guilty eating, I'm talking about mindful eating. And now I can bring that beyond the hospital and on my own social platform and advocate for the profession that way as well. I love that. I didn't know you were doing that. And I so appreciate that this entire conversation is showing that the background you've had has helped you assume leadership positions, right? So the work you're doing on socials, translating to the work you're doing in the hospital. They're seeing you as a leader and helping you with your, you're taking your presentation skills and showing your face and, and, expo- and really helping increase visibility. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Okay. What can dietitians do to reclaim their voices and stand out? And how has your program supported this? If you have any specific examples outside of uh, Christina, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So the first thing that is uh, a shift in kind of curriculum, uh, we have a accrediting body. So it's the uh, Partnership for Dietetic Education and Practice in Canada. And so they've recently revised the competencies that students need to meet to be ready for entry level practice. And what's changed is they're really calling out the management and leadership Uh, competencies that students need to practice uh, in their internships and practicums in order to demonstrate that. So I think just setting that apart, even though it's a a small change that probably most people in don't, you know, aren't aware of other than if you're in education and having to implement this, 
but I think it's a it's a great step forward for a profession because it'll empower students to know that yes, I did specifically train in management and leadership and not just food service management, but management in general. So broadening that so that they feel more confident doing things like Christina just said, kind of being the face of dietetics at her organization or taking on some of those leadership roles that you wouldn't traditionally think to, that a dietitian could take on, but that we're highly skilled. It's just reorganizing and renaming what we currently do in order to voice that a little bit more. And I think your other question of what students are, other students are doing, I, every year I'm surprised by students who go into areas where there either wasn't a dietitian before so they're the first of their kind, you could say, or they're getting jobs with management titles right out of school, uh, right out of their graduate program. Usually that takes, you know, a few years to get that title. But I've been seeing this a lot in tech and nonprofit, where there typically wasn't a dietitian in the past, or maybe there was, but the role was a little bit different. And students have advocated that this should be a management role, whether they're a manager of nutrition content, they're a manager of programs, a manager of, oh, I forget her title, but it's, um, she works for a health app. And so she's the manager of really rolling out this second part of the app, which is such a cool thing that you can take your background in dietetics, add in some extra training that you might do on your own in tech and coding, and then create a position for yourself. Yeah, really, really cool. Thank you for those specific examples. Anything to add to that, Christina? Yeah, I just wanted to say that although, of course, the master's program gives us a great foundation, we only have the entry-level skills. So to reclaim my voice, I did find that I needed someone like you, a dietitian who's a coach, to help me strengthen my media and marketing skills and, you know, use social media to build a virtual practice. So now I've been able to speak for what I believe in and still do my traditional eight to four job, whereas the master's program has helped me guide me to my path of what I'm passionate about and fulfill that five-year plan of being an anti-diet dietitian, which was very general, I know. And you've helped me niche down and be a lot more specific, of course. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely incredible. And uh just for context for the listeners, I'm presenting at Megan's college, right? And Christina is going to be using her presentation skills and co-presenting with me. And I think that although that's a, a small example to you know, a webinar, it's just another way that Christina, you've been able to assume a leadership position, put yourself, your face in front of your hospital, your face in front of your social media feed, your face in front of your college again. So I, I'm just listing a few examples that I know of, and I'm sure there are many more, but I want to give you credit for doing that because it's not easy, especially for a lot of the listeners that struggle to show their face. So I appreciate that you're constantly putting yourself out there and being a role model uh, for, for your colleagues. I think that's, that's really great. And I'm sure that uh, your, the students at your, at your college are going to be really inspired as well. And Thank they might, you. They might take action even sooner, hopefully, right? Hopefully as students. Lastly, as we, as we wrap up, I was hoping that we could talk a little bit specifically about the importance of mentorship and precepting. 
I know we've already uh, talked about that a little bit. Anything you want to add to that topic, Megan, uh, um, as far as, yeah, just what you think would be helpful? Yeah, I would just say if you're a dietitian working in the field and you're interested in precepting, reach out to different connections that you have. Maybe it's from where you did your undergrad or graduate program or a local university college nearby that you know has a program. Uh, Because this is one limiting step in the growth of our field, as well as getting students where they need to be in order to learn how they can grow and move into these new normals of practice. And so that's something that in my role, I'm really passionate about getting my recent grads to just dive in and take a student. And Christina was really one of them that took this challenge on and with some coaching, she's become such an amazing preceptor and students rave about Christina's teaching ability. So I think that that's just another skill set that you can grow when you're a new grad that, you know, yes, it does take time and investment, but as Christina was mentioning before, you learn alongside your student. You also make your student feel like they're a colleague and not a burden, which also helps them to grow and learn. So if I can advocate for anything on this platform, I would say take a student and learn with them. I love that. Before you have anything to add to that, Christina, I just want to ask, Megan, do you happen to know any statistics as far as if our field is underrepresented with preceptors? And I don't know how this is affected with COVID. I'm not sure how this Mm -hmm. is affected globally. Do we happen to know what that can we identify? Can we quantify that gap as far as what the needs are, because I know dietetics is growing. So, so what does that mean? Good question. I know in Canada, we haven't done that type of research to know the numbers of preceptors available compared to the number of students that, that they take, I guess you could say. Yeah. I would say that we're definitely not maxed out. Definitely not every preceptor or every dietitian in Canada takes a student every year. So there's definitely capacity where that capacity is that I feel like that's a PhD project (laughs) ready to happen. (laughs) Okay. But you are saying observing that it's important and significant. And and I want to talk about the mutual significance. So Mm -hmm. significant for the mentee because they're learning and feeling inspired, especially if they have, depending on their background, they might not have gone to such an amazing program as yours. They might not understand uh, what, what the opportunities are and they might need more support from an exceptional preceptor. So they can benefit from that community and leadership and, and role modeling. And then the mentor uh, or the preceptor can benefit as well by giving back. So is there anything I'm missing as far as what the mutual benefits are between the preceptor and the person who's being mentored, the the intern, I guess you would call them the intern. I'll let Christina take this one. Yeah, so like I said, if you take a student learn early on and you're still learning, you'll learn things from them. With our students, I can ask them, do you have access to this journal? I need an article. So they'll give me access, they'll pass on an article. And aside from that, I think taking a student really helps advocate for the profession. I've talked to my students about how to advocate, let's say in a clinical setting. For example, I learned from my preceptor that if you are just overworking hours every single night, and just because you wanna see all your patients on your caseload, 
in a way you're working for two people. So you're not advocating that your hospital may need more dietitians. So just really respecting your time and having that work life balance will be advocating for the profession. So if you take a student and just give them a little tidbit on how to advocate for the profession, it'll just keep going from generation to generation. I love that. And Libby, I've also heard from preceptors, dietitians that have been in the field a lot longer, that students bring in new technologies, up-to-date information, and new ways of thinking about things that help them to not feel stagnant in their role. So they kind of breathe life into their job that they might have been doing for 15 or 20 years. And then that can really help that dietitian to fall in love with her role all over again. Because as we know, it's sometimes challenging to jump from different jobs, if this is kind of the career path that you're going into. So having that excitement come back in, in this teaching role can be a great aspect of precepting. I love that. Really, yeah, I I totally agree with that. And I think one of the highest value, the highest things that we can do as dietitians, as female entrepreneurs is to give back. And so what better way than to give back in the form of precepting? And I think it's really special to give that opportunity to someone so I'm glad that you, you both are supporting that in your own ways. As we wrap up here today, this has been a really awesome conversation. So thank you both. Is there any final note that you want to leave us with or just remind us where we can connect with you? I'll have both of your information in the show notes on my website. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Anything that you want to leave us with, Christina? Yeah, thanks for having us. And you can find me at eat.with.freedom on Instagram. Great. Fantastic. Thank you both. If you identify as a female dietitian or student, apply to my coaching program. I'm accepting applications now. My clients go from zero to exceeding their sales goals. I save you time, energy, and I show you how to confidently become a dietitian boss. Thousands of your colleagues from around the world are doing it, and so can you. Apply on my website at LibbyRothschild.com and check the show notes if you want that link right away.